Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And today we have the opportunity to visit with Sally Ranny. Hi, Sally. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Welcome. Well, thank you. We are in <laughs> Sally's natural habitat here Yeah. on the uh, back deck. And behind us is a very special mountain. Mount Sopris, Mount Sopris. which is uh, a sacred mountain. The Southern Utes um, have worshipped this mountain for a very, very long time, centuries. Yeah. I've heard it mentioned that the words for this mountain are Wimagua and that it means sacred heart of all the mountains, the whole right. Rocky Mountain chain, which is just amazing. 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 Sacred heart. And that's the perfect, I think that's the perfect name for it really because um, uh, I had a friend who sold his ranch but had a ranch right at the base of the mountain and you could feel that energy. No kidding. I mean, it, it's a real thing. It's a very real thing. Absolutely. And uh, our friends at Sustainable Settings, where we get a lot of our biodynamic preparations right. from, right. certainly are tapped into that energy. And uh, it's right at the base there as well. I think the whole so, valley is, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that, Sally. Well, let me let me introduce you for our audience. Okay. And then we'll, we'll have a conversation. I'm so okay. excited. Great. So Sally Ranney is co-founder and president of the American Renewable Energy Institute, AREI, and R-Day Summit, president and co-founder of Global Choices, and serves on the board of directors of the National Wildlife Federation, the Aspen Brain Institute, and the Climate Accountability Institute. She is CEO of Stillwater Preservation, LLC, a wetlands mitigation banking company and senior advisor to the One Humanity Institute and the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, WECAN. With 40 years of experience in land, water, energy, biodiversity, and climate change, Sally has worked with three U.S. presidents, including an appointment by President Reagan to his Commission on American Outdoors. She is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Horace Albright Award, the International Conservation Award, Earth Guardians Earth Stewardship Award, and the Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation Lifetime Achievement Award. And Sally, it is such a joy and such a pleasure to have this opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you. And to share your experience and, and wisdom with our audience. Hmm. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for coming here instead of me going to a studio, <laughs> because um, this is this is my refuge. This is um, close to town, but not close to town, and uh, lots of open space, which I thrive in, which I think most people would thrive in if they had the opportunity. People need nature. They absolutely, absolutely do. It's scientifically proven yeah. that we're biophilic uh, uh, beings, yeah. you know, and we are nature. Yeah. In fact, I think now in this movement that's coming forward, I think we're nature remembering ourselves. Nature remembering ourselves. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, you know, you and I, we've spoken a bit about some of the profound existential risks that we're facing as a species, as a global society. And one of those actually has a lot to do with our connection with nature. And I'm, I'm wondering if you might share with our audience your 
perspective when it comes to these existential risks? Well, I think, you know, I think there's four. Uh, there's climate change, which uh, if we don't get a handle on it and uh, make some very quick remedial, take some very quick remedial action, could kill us in a couple hundred years. Um, there's nuclear holocaust, which could take us out in an afternoon. Um, there is something that, because I'm on the board of the Aspen Brain Institute, which I hadn't thought about before, is really mental health of, of humanity, uh, individually and collectively. Uh, if we were all healthy uh, mentally and understood brain health, we wouldn't have ISIS, we wouldn't have all the fractionists uh, hatred that's going on, etc. But I think the bottom line to all of it um, is, I think our 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 most critical existential crisis is the illusion of separation. I think that's number one. And what do you mean by that? That we think that we are individually isolated. That what we do, what we think. Uh, how we act doesn't affect um, much, and it does. It, it really, really does. We are one humanity. Whether we like it or not, we are, we are bonded, we are connected. Uh, there's only 1% of humanity, this is what scientists say, that are different than the rest of us. And that means we all have eyes, we all have ears, we all have brains, we all have what we have. So what differentiates us? What creates a differentiated consciousness instead of a one consciousness? It's, well, I, I don't know quite how to say this, but um, it's education, it's culture, it's um, how, how we have been taught to relate to one another. Babies on the floor, doesn't matter what color they are, doesn't matter, doesn't, nothing matters. Yeah. They're curious, they're, you know, they relate to each other. We have an overburden of ideas, ideologies, um, political systems, religious systems, cultural systems that have created this separation. Yeah. And it really is an illusion. We all are on this planet. We all are, rely on the life support systems of this planet if you talk to people individually i don't care where they are in the world and i've traveled all over the world if you ask them you know what do they want for their families what do they want for their life it's the same thing everywhere mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they want clean food they want clean air they want an education for their kids they want a decent uh meaningful living um uh, wage uh, and job so what what makes us think that we are so different? Hmm. And do we think we're so different with, let's say, climate change facing us just boom, right? It's here and now. It's the urgency of now. Are we so different that we can't come together for our children? Hmm. Boy, I, I hope not. I hope not. But climate change, interestingly enough, um, 
invites us as a global community to collaborate at a level that we never have before. And in a way, we have never collaborated before because we have to do it as if our life depends on it because it does. So that's some silver lining in some very dark clouds. Right. That's exactly this, right. This is potentially awakening us to the to the reality that we are we're not only interconnected but we are really interdependent on each other. We are independent but interdependent. If mm -hmm. you study the web of life, it's mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. Every, everything is independent. You have an independent plant. But now we know that trees talk to each other. Big time. Um, you know, through their root systems. Uh, we know that a tree, when a chainsaw is coming towards it, the sap stops running. Everything is conscious. And we're just starting to wake up to that. The masters, you know, the... Um, mystical masters and indigenous people knew this yeah they know this and it's what i call original knowledge and that original knowledge of how to get along with the planet and respect it uh, and give it dignity uh, as well as respect and kindness and dignity to one another we've become separated from that because of this illusion of separation. And it's pretty difficult when you're sitting in an air-conditioned room uh, all cushed with a great dinner in front of you to talk about climate change. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the, the people that are on the front lines are really, really suffering, really suffering. And now we have the whole youth movement that is arising and not the millennials this is kids you know from 12 to 18 standing up marching Greta Thornburg mm -hmm. um, uh, Astrid um, Shia uh, Shetezkat um, all these kids are standing up and marching you know they've shut down in Europe they've shut down whole cities uh, with this um, Friday strikes, you know, from school. And yet, heads of state have not done anything significantly different. Why is that? Why do you think that is? I'm going to interview you. You're going to interview me? <laughs> I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, many increasingly uh, heads of state want to do more i think that for uh polit political bases particularly in the democratic uh societies uh to to get behind that kind of uh change takes some time and you and i we were talking before we were recording about how we've we've been at this kind of work for many years and we met a couple decades ago right and, right um there's a there's a sense on the one hand that oh, things are happening so slowly. Mm -hmm. Perhaps, however, stepping back and thinking about how things were a hundred years ago, mm -hmm. in a sense, things are really actually changing and transforming quite rapidly. And I remain utterly hopeful, thinking about the next 
year and a half, the next mm -hmm. five years, mm -hmm. the next 10 years, because what, what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing co connecting with people all around the world is that there really is a rising tide of awareness. Yeah. There is a rising sense that, by golly, we really have to do something about this yeah. situation that we're in. Yeah. And I think it's pushing the needle in the direction where the political leaders are going to be mobilizing in a tremendous way in the next few years. Now, of course, we have to recognize that with these existential threats, we, we don't really have a day to waste at this point. That's right. And so we have to double down. Not only do we have to understand and engage with the youth movements and all of the other ways we can each be change makers in our own community, I think we have an imperative to get behind and support uh, youth leaders like, like Shia Bastida mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and others mm -hmm. and do everything we can right now to uh, create the kind of future I know we are all hoping for and hoping right. our kids and grandkids will experience. Well, it has to come, you know, it, it comes down to not just a theory of change, but how change really happens. And wow. those those are my dogs yes. that you hear. Part of the sanctuary. <laughs> a part of the sanctuary. <laughs> Although they're not very sanctimonious at the moment. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, we ha it has to, it, it's what I call the sandwich effect of social change. Mm. So it has to be, there has to be influence at the highest levels, uh, so top down and bottom up. And then as you bring those two closer together, then something that is reasonable, that's the hope, and it often does happen that way, uh, will result. But, but we, we've got, you know, we have a phenomenon on the planet right now that is, it's hard to articulate, um, but there's this, you can call it a um, a backlash. I mean, we got Bolsonaro in the Amazon. Oh my yep. God! Oh yep. my God! Uh, no relationship to nature. Mm -hmm. yep. No relationship to life support systems. Uh, little empathy, little compassion. Uh, very similar to. And I don't know your audience, but it's similar to Trump, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and we have a wild card now, Boris Johnson, in England. You know, you have to wonder, uh, there's been some really um, interesting ways that these people have gotten, not Boris Johnson, but... Trump and Bolsonaro, how they got into office, and it was mm -hmm. using social media, mm -hmm. social media not for the best good of all. Yeah. And uh, I've learned much more about how that was done, and it boggles your mind. Yeah. It boggles your mind, the manipulation. Um, you can even create false people that people follow, mm -hmm. and they have no idea they're not real. You know, and so, I mean, it's, this is drilling deep, 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 deep into the psychology of the worst of human yeah. nature versus the best of human nature. So we're at this cusp now. 
where the best of human nature must come forward yeah. or we're we're not we're not going to make it um and so a shift in consciousness will people say oh great you know what is the shift in mm. consciousness so a shift in consciousness really is about awareness where you put your attention what your attitude is what your action is uh, all of the things that you can control I can control all of those things mm -hmm. so so when you look at the assumptions I think we've been operating under false assumptions mm. we've been hypnotized by false assumptions for centuries um, I wrote the foreword to a book called The Trust Frequency uh, by uh, Connie Baxter Marlowe and Andrew Cameron and they have done some remarkable work in putting quantum science, indigenous wisdom, and, and sort of where we are today all together. And um, the premise is, is that we've been operating under these false assumptions. One, competition. Mm -hmm. uh, scarcity. Um, there's a whole series of them. And what has that produced? It's produced exactly what we have because what you think is what you are mm -hmm. what you think you we create our reality and we co-create our collective reality yeah. so you have to dissect those false assumptions and the narrative that goes with them so out of assumptions come belief systems out of belief systems comes action uh, and the, and there you go so then you get Isis and you get Mother Teresa mm -hmm. right Okay, so, so looking at those false assumptions, each one of us has to say, well, what have I been assuming? Now we know science has, has uh, quantified and qualified this. The master impulse of the universe is cooperation. Mm -hmm. It's not competition. Mm -hmm. And I could talk to you about wolves and bison, but we don't have time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's a that's a wonderful example of competition. Uh, I mean, of cooperation. cooperation. But people yeah. think it's competition of the fittest. But we now know that Darwin's theory, as fabulous as it was, and it served us for a long time, it's now actually cooperation. Yeah. Because in the end, it sustains species. It sustains life, etc. So we have to we have to unravel those false assumptions and the narrative that goes with it. If mm -hmm. we replaced, you know, deplete and use with uh, restore and respect, and that was our lexicon, those were the only words we used. Yes. And we thought of comp not competition but collaboration. Uh, we don't hoard. We give. We share. If that was our lexicon, if that was our narrative, guess what we would manifest? We would manifest a different world. Yes. But because it wasn't that, we manifested exactly what we have. Mm -hmm. I so love that's this. the shift. I love this, yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of shift in consciousness that that we need. And, um, you know, there, there's... there's um, I would just encourage everybody to read The Trust Frequency. Mm because um, there really is a dissection of the anatomy of why we are where we are, and it is an abundant, not a scarce universe. Um, and 
but if you if you believe in scarcity, you're going to get scarcity. Yeah. If you believe in abundance, and you know, I don't know how divine choreography works, mm. but I know it works, mm. and I believe in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. One of the threads here that I'm picking up on, Sally, that I, I'm really excited to hear you speaking to is how we each have personally responsibility in the cultivation of our underlying assumptions. Right. And in Why on Earth, one of the chapters is called Think. Mm -hmm. And by the way, audience, if you haven't yet read Why on Earth, I'm going to tell you in a few minutes a way you can support the podcast and get free downloads of all the ebook and audiobook resources. So stay tuned for that. But in this chapter called Think, we talk about the ecology of our thinking mm -hmm. and that we are mm -hmm. influenced by all of these different impressions, right. conversations, media, advertising, mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And that ultimately that is an ecosystem we are responsible to steward. Right. If we so choose. Exactly. If we if we don't choose, mm -hmm. we're we're gonna be essentially hacked by other powers that want us to participate in certain right. economic ways and etc. Right. And and we see where that leads. We see plenty of examples of where that can lead us. Right. But I think Sally implicit in this emergence of a more collaborative framework is a greater sense of personal of individual responsibility and stewardship when it comes to examining and really understanding what are our underlying assumptions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and most of us, you know, take competition. Mm. Capitalism is really based on competition. Mm -hmm. I gotta get mine first, I gotta get to market first, I gotta be smarter than the other guy, I gotta have better PR, I have to have better social media, etc. Uh, and so, you know, it, that feeds more competition. Mm -hmm. Competition feeds competition. Love begets love. Abend abundance begets, begets abundance. Scarcity begets scarcity. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know it works. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I've seen it in my own life. Um, I've, seen, I've seen it in other people's lives. I've seen it in other cultures. And um, you take the Kogi um, natives in Colombia, mm -hmm. totally different system than, than we have. You know, no war, no, no police, no, you know, none of that. Because they have a different narrative. They have different assumptions. Uh, and they work in harmony with, um, with Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. So if you work at odds with the laws of the universe, guess what? I mean, it's like, you know, if you stick your head in the sand, guess where your ass is? Uh-huh. You right, know? right, so, right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and that's, that's what we've been doing. So capitalism is an ecosystem that mm -hmm. we can change, mm -hmm. you know? And it doesn't mean that, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't sell and buy and, trade and barter sure, and all sure. of that but there's a different intention behind mm -hmm. it yeah a different intention it is to support everybody 
not a few. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really excited to reflect on with you is the, uh, the Arde conference that mm. you co-produce. And I'm, I'm bringing this up now in the conversation because there are such an amazing array of thought leaders, of mm -hmm. community leaders who come together for those several days gathering here in the mountains. Right. And I'm curious, now that we're a few weeks from our day 2019 uh, and thinking ahead to our day 2020, vis-a-vis -vis this transformation in our economic thinking, right. this transformation in our in our ethos, our ethics, really. Right. What What are you seeing emerge as the one or two or three most exciting impulses that uh, that, came that, out of that it. were out of our day? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so our day, um, one of the things that we strive to do, and and I want to say we do very well, is it's multi-sector. Mm -hmm. Climate change, so we're renewable energy and climate change, that nexus, yep. you know, there's a nexus between water and energy, there's a nexus between education and um, um, climate change, there's all these nexi, I guess you call them nexi. <laughs> <laughs> and so early on, um, you know, we decided that the, because climate change is a whole systems yep. problem and challenge Absolutely. that it has to have whole systems solutions. So we can't be working in our silos anymore that um, multi-sector solutions have to come together. And so we have economists, youth leaders, scientists, uh, academicians, politicians, government, um, government represent, uh, representatives, investors, um, um, venture capital folks, institutional in, uh, finance represented. I mean, the whole array. And the reason we do that is because people get to meet people that have the same goals the same concerns about climate change, about renewable energy, what, whatever it is, and they come together in ways that they had never really anticipated mm -hmm. because they're meeting people that they would have never, ever met yep. otherwise. Yep. You know, so um, out of this one is uh, we've got some good support that came forward for the youth movement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the Future Coalition, for um, um, uh, Earth Guardians. Yeah. Um, uh, just a side note, the Earth Guardians gave me a war, an award like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Mm. And in my office, it has a prominent place because it was given to me by kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Amazing. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. And... Uh, I appreciate all recognitions, of course, but that one's really, that one's really special. Mm. Mm. Um, so, um, so there was much more support, much more recognition of what the youth leaders need, uh, who in the room can help them, uh, connect the dots. So that's, uh, so we're moving into the climate week. Um, 
yeah. with with a lot of the youth initiative and putting different people with different people. Um, that never would have happened before uh, to support the youth. What comes out of that, I just want to take a minute to talk about the youth because um, they have been striking, you know, in the UK, in Sweden, in Germany, in Denmark. Uh, now there's this big march on the 20th of September, which is the beginning of the United Nations General Assembly and the climate summit yep. and um, they don't know how many to expect uh, some say the march will be 400,000 some say it will be over half a million uh, I'm gonna be there mm -hmm. I hope you are too I hope so too <laughs> um, because I really want to support these kids but they've been doing this now for what a year and a half and nothing substantially has changed mm -hmm. with the heads of state. So this gets into paradigm shift, you know, that um, if, if we have people at the high level of influence who are not supportive of acting on climate change now, they have got to go. Yep. They have, I mean, yep. they just they have, have no to business go. in office. No, they have no business in office because this is the challenge of humanity. Yep. And we are one humanity. Whether we like it or not, we are one humanity. So, um, so that's going to be really interesting that this march is taking place ahead of the whole week of negotiations and all kinds of things that are going on to see if this visible, visceral demonstration of concern by the next generations yep. is going to have any impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it's really going to be interesting. And not just, you know, not just... Uh, patting them on the shoulder and saying, right. oh, that's a nice, nice little girl, go yeah. back to school. Right. You know, I mean, real change. Yeah. Yep. Real change. So we're excited about that at yeah. AREI. Yeah, there's, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot coming out of there. Um, the other thing is hydrogen. Mm -hmm. uh, we really focused on hydrogen energy. And the reason we did uh, this year is because, you know, for years we've been promoting solar and wind geothermal because we are the American Renewable Energy Institute mm -hmm. um, and finally and I mean we're not behind the the boat in any way but it just became so clear that that is not going to do it mm -hmm. you know we need hydrogen on um, uh, in the energy mix yeah. and big time yeah. big time because it can do things that solar and wind cannot. Yes. So, you know, whether it's hydrogen fuel cells or converting coal-fired power plants without dismantling them or decommissioning them yeah. to hydrogen, there's some technology that's on the edge of that. A um, lot of people working on hydrogen. So we have a, a national hydrogen association in this country that has 91 different co companies in it all of whom are on this leading edge. So I think we're going to see in the next, I hope, in the next five years, a real push to get hydrogen 
yeah. you know, into the uh, into the energy into the energy mix. And I think um, I think overall, when you look at its byproduct, is water. Right. I right. mean, h how can you go wrong with that? No. You know. But one of the things that we don't have in this country, and many countries don't have, we don't have an energy plan. Mm -hmm. We are all over the course. Mm -hmm all over the course and we need an energy plan hopefully in our next presidential election mm -hmm. we will have somebody that's really bright and on to what needs to be done yeah. we need an energy plan that takes us from here to the next 20 years and that means disengaging fossil fuels mm -hmm. replacing with renewables so that even manufacturing production when you uh, plug in your electric car. You're not plugging into a coal-fired power plant. Mm -hmm. You are plugging into renewables. Yeah. You know, and that renewables then are making the components for renewables. Right. That's where we have to go. Yep. And we're way behind the eight ball. Yeah. You know. You know, Sally, I I I am so <laughs> excited, and I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> of that great quote that I think we attribute to Winston trying to persuade our government to engage in defeating fascism uh, when fascism was running rampant in Europe in the 1930s, early right. 1940s. And we finally did. America finally mobilized in a massive way. And of course, Churchill said, you know, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing. Uh, after they've exhausted all, all other possibilities. possibilities and yeah. uh, it just, it makes me think that probably where we're headed my hope is my prayer is and certainly i know we're endeavoring every day to make this a reality with many many of our colleagues mm -hmm. is that we see that kind of a massive mobilization in the near term and yeah. one of the things that is so powerful and inspiring about the r day summit mm -hmm. is the way in which various technical experts are coming together with incredibly uh charismatic leaders like Shia Bastida, mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. as a 17-year-old was Amazing. certainly one of the most effective public speakers in that entire lineup yes. of incredible people. Yeah. And we, we've published a podcast with her, um, and she is encouraging all of us to engage and, and go to marchwithus.org to mm -hmm. find out if, if you can get to New York, great. If not, there are marches occurring in virtually every major city. city right. Engage, support. This right. time is critical. And uh, there's so much in the realm of technological innovation, especially around hydrogen, mm -hmm. that is so encouraging, so exciting. And we, we absolutely have to mobilize the political will to make sure we're pushing all of this in the right mm -hmm. direction. But I also want to, and I'm one of the people uh, in the family of uh, American Renewable Energy that is always talking about this, and this is nature-based solutions. Yeah. Uh, because they're often o overlooked, and we think that technology is gonna get us out of this fix. Guess what, it's right. not. Right. Everything that supports life is in nature, yeah. and in nature systems and ecosystems. And we have super, mega ecosystems in the Amazon, yeah. the, Ca the Congo, the Antarctic, and the Arctic. Those are our global commons. 
uh, this is a this is a radical statement, but it's becoming true. Is that um, there are now 846 eco regions identified uh, on the seven continents. When you overlay nation states boundaries, I don't think there's any of them that match the way nature is organized. So we've been making decisions for centuries based on a false assumption mm -hmm. that, um, that nature is subservient to us. But it's, that's 180 degrees backwards. We are ultimately subservient to nature. Yes. And we're in partnership with nature. But we ha we have we have forgotten that because we've gone down this other path. So nation states, actually, what I would like to see, which will never happen in my lifetime, but many 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 years down the road, is that we start making decisions and start voting by eco regions. Mm. You can still have your nation states, but. You have to you have to look at how nature. One of the reasons we're in trouble is we didn't organize ourselves the way nature did. Uh, we organized ourselves basically, and indigenous don't do this. Um, uh, they organize by how nature is organized, mm -hmm. uh, have for the most part. Uh, we have organized geometrically. So I was on the board of um, the uh, Gallman Nature uh, Africa Conservancy, which is in Kenya, and spent a lot of time in Africa at one point, um, and not just in Kenya, but other countries. And you'd fly over where the Samburu or the Maasai or some of these other uh, tribal areas were. And, you know, their bomas are round. Everything is round. Everything mm. fits with nature. Mm. Then you fly over where the Europeans were. Mm -hmm. Their little towns. Chop, 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 chop. Chop, 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 chop. It's all in squares. Mm -hmm. Doesn't relate to nature in any way whatsoever. Well, that approach uh, has, has literally taken over the world. And so, you know, we have what we want, what we have, but we can, we still have time. We still have time, not a lot, but we still have time to just stop, put the skids on mm -hmm. and say, I was thinking today when I was, I coast down to the grocery store from here because mm -hmm. I'm up on a little mountain and I was thinking, okay, so what if I had Oh, my only transportation was either a bike, I'd prefer a horse, mm -hmm. I have horses, mm -hmm. I'd prefer a horse, um, a horse, or some sort of a, um, uh, a public transport that came by maybe once a day. You get it or you don't get it. And you go down to the store and you catch it and you come back up. I mean, it's those kinds of things that we're going to have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was thinking, well, do I lose my independence then? Well, in the way that we've assumed independence works, mm -hmm. in some ways, yes. But guess what? There's blood power. Blood power is your feet mm -hmm. or a horse, mm -hmm. you know, or a bike. You're pedaling a bike. Yeah. 
and you can you can darn well get around and if you need to take your elder with you you know you put a seat on the back you haul them around on a travoy like you know i mean but we don't have to go that far back but we are really going to have to change our habits mm -hmm. yeah. you know and our assumptions and you know we do everything particularly in the united states more so i think than maybe any place in the world for convenience yeah and convenience is killing us yeah i think there's another silver lining there too and uh it is that linking back to this mental health situation, mm -hmm. you know, to have so much convenience, to have uh, so much in the way of technology right at our disposal as individuals, and, and to have such rapid and often discordant, frenetic lifestyles mm -hmm. is actually undermining our quality of life Absolutely. by and large. And, and part of the opportunity we have in front of us mm -hmm. with all of this is to slow down how we live day exactly. in and day out exactly and that's part of the practice of connecting with nature as well yeah you don't connect with nature in a 20 second no increment between two other engagements no. with technology right? no it takes a different type of time it does because nature is slow you know unless you have an avalanche or a mudslide or something but the processes of nature are slow and you know we're we are ramped up to the nanosecond yeah. now and um and so we're so discordant i think is the word that you use we're so disconnected with with that mm. and um i have been lucky in my life is that uh, i have spent an inordinate amount of time in wilderness mm -hmm. and nature because i started out you know, 40 some years ago as a resource policy analyst for the Wilderness Society. Mm -hmm. Because wilderness to me, which is untouched, untrammeled by man, uh, by humans, uh, it's where the genius of nature can really be the genius of nature. Mm -hmm. And I was concerned about the genetic archives of the planet. So I did a lot of work on wilderness in the United States. I was part of a wilderness SWAT team, eco team, if you will, in the 70s and 80s. Um, we got a lot of acreage into the wilderness system then and the Alaska Lands Act, 101 million acres mm -hmm. uh, that we got protected. And then I worked in uh, Papua New Guinea, South America, Canada, um, Africa, etc. And and it just became so clear to me that um, preserving these areas and these forests were absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, not really understanding, knowing about climate change 30 some years ago, but not really getting until maybe 20 years ago what was ramping up. Yeah. Um, and so then that's when I shifted and started to look at, you know, because climate change, excuse the word, trumps it all, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so um, that's where I started to change my focus more on, on climate change. But all of those areas still we're fighting for. I mean, I was just up in southeast Alaska. The Tongass Forest which is our largest national forest, 17 million acres, 
It's called the climate force, the United States' climate force, because it um, draws down and sequesters 10% of what we emit in CO2 uh, in the United States. The current administration has a proposal for billions and billions of board feet to be cut, clear cut, mind you. It's all going to China. That's like going into your bank account, into the principal, and saying, oh, here's, here's a third of my principal, just take it, yeah. no, no problem. Right. I mean, we're, we're mining our natural resource principle, yeah. you know, and we have not just this administration, but we have been for, for some time. So it was for me, it was like revisiting the past because I had been working on a very similar issue in the Tongass in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Same thing, just mm -hmm. wrapped in a different bow, in a different bow. Mm -hmm. It was all going to Jap Japan. Right. I remember that. And, and we have... There's 60,000 salmon fishermen, mm -hmm. and only about 480, I think, people that are involved in the logging industry. And yet, the politicians are pushing, pushing for those clear cuts, for that proposal, and not addressing what is gonna happen to the fisheries, Right. when all of this siltation and the TDLs and everything else in the stream goes way up. They don't talk about that. And then there's the pebble mine, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is a gold mine. Like we need a lot more gold, right? It, right between two rivers that, um, and the it's called Bristol Bay, and I've been there. It is so pristine and it is the largest sockeye salmon fishery in the world. Mm. 62 mm. million sockeye salmon come back up these two rivers and this proposal is right in the middle of those two rivers. And it's 1500, it'll be a huge open pit mine, 1500 feet deep, 5,000 acres, you're talking Manhattan, and they're saying don't worry, it'll be fine. Right. You know, and this was done on a handshake on Air Force One with Trump, 30-minute mm -hmm. meeting, mm -hmm. and they just threw back everything. Mm -hmm. All the regulations, a, a three-year study that the Obama administration and Gina McCarthy, who was head of EPA, did, all scientifically documented mm -hmm. a meeting and a handshake, and they just said, follow your permit, you should be fine. Mm. Not okay. Not okay. No, yeah. not okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, and those kinds of things are happening in a lot of different places. And this is why the youth are rising up and yeah. saying, just stop, yeah. stop. You know, it's like, okay, so in the Arctic, uh, there are proposals for, in the Arctic Ocean, oil and gas, mm -hmm. uh, seismic testing, deep seabed mining, which is, you know, nobody knows what, I mean, that just scrapes all yeah. the life out, you know, yeah. and it can release methane. Nobody knows what's going to happen with that. Uh, 
shipping lanes where they have big icebreakers that are breaking up the ice, which is already a problem of breaking mm -hmm. up the ice, and a variety of other things. And there's a lot of assets being invested in Greenland um, uh, and in the seven countries that are, you know, have coastline on the Arctic Ocean. And it's insanity. Number yeah. one, it violates the intention of the Paris Accord. Right to take out any more oil and gas. Mm -hmm. We cannot meet those targets if we keep, you know, it's got to stay in the ground. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, is that the biodiversity of life in the oceans now, they know uh, that is a huge carbon sequester, yeah. you know, and all of those species are already being affected by uh, activities that don't, you know, don't acknowledge how fragile it is. To me, the Arctic is like, as the Arctic goes, so goes the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like the soft spot on a baby's head. Yeah. Um, and you damage that and everything else. Now, the Arctic melting um, is a symptom, not a cause. Antarctica melting is a symptom, not a cause. The Amazon is drier than usual. That's a symptom. But then we've also got, you know, this sort of wild west, go burn whatever you need for more cattle, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, yep. think, I think to solve that problem, really, is every country, people in every country that eat Brazilian beef, boycott it. Right. Boom. Right. You know, it worked It worked on the tuna. Yeah. The net caught tuna 20 years ago or whenever that yeah. was. Uh, but I think people just have to stand up and say, look, if that's the way you're working in the supply chain, I'm not interested. No moss. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm just not, I'm, you know, so palm oil is another one. Right. You know, you have to look at everything you buy for palm oil. Yep. And now they're registering whether it's sustainable, harvested, or it's or if it doesn't have that, then it's not. Right. You know, so Girl Scout cookies, for example, mm -hmm. had palm oil, and they are now slowly but surely moving to the sustainable. You know, getting that yeah. out. But there are so many things that you know women, particularly because they do most of the shopping, could be aware of and just say, I'm not doing it. It's fabulous to hear all of that. Let me, um, Sally, let me just remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And I'm visiting today with Sally Ranny, sitting on her lovely back deck with Mount Sopris, Wee Magua, behind us in the background. And uh, we are talking about a variety of topics uh, related to our existence on this planet and uh, I want to take a moment to thank all of the folks who have joined our monthly giving program making this series possible and uh, it is just an amazing mix of folks who have uh, decided to make that commitment of uh, an amount each month and uh, if you haven't yet made the commitment and would like to, you can go to whyonearth.org support and pick whatever level works for you. 
when you join our monthly giving program, I'll make sure you get an email with a special code to download all of our ebook and audiobook resources for free. Uh, and you can share that with friends if you would like. Um, also, I want to thank our sponsors uh, who help make all of this work possible, including our community mobilization work. Mm. And uh, these sponsors include the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America, mm, Earth Coast Productions, Equal Exchange, the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, the Lidge Family Foundation, Madeira Outdoor, Patagonia, Purium, and Waylay Waters. So a huge thanks to all of you for your generosity and for your support of this important work. And Sally, of course, a, a big thanks as well to our day for inviting Why on Earth to be one of the presenters Absolutely. at the recent summit. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got just a few minutes left in our conversation today. And I, I just want to uh, circle back and, and ask you to to our audience to remind and or articulate what do you think are the two or three most important things we can each be doing uh, going forward regardless of our station in life regardless mm -hmm. of our socioeconomic status all those different things what is it that you would love to see Okay. us humans choosing to do going forward. Yeah, well, I would say there's three levels. There's your personal level, your community level, maybe four levels, national and global. On the personal level, um, ask yourself a lot of questions before you buy anything. Um, where did it come from? Was there child labor involved? Was a forest felled? was a river poisoned? Um, uh, where was it made? If, if whoever you're buying from can't answer those questions, don't buy it. And usually, unless it's something you absolutely have to have, like food or water, um, you walk away and at the end of the day you don't need it anyway. Right. You know, so on an individual level, and and ha ha what your transport is, uh, what you eat, um, you know, and where you purchase, if it's local or it's not local, we really have to go local. We have to become resilient in our mm. local area. Yep. Resilience is is the key word now, um, and. Um, and then how you heat your house, how I just put a whole set of solar panels on my house. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, feed, I'm grid tie-in now, I'm feeding the grid for people who are choosing renewables. But I'm wired up so uh, when I get batteries, boom, and I just flip the switch and I'm off the grid. And um, that's an expensive option in some cases, but you can also work at your local community level with your yeah. local um, utility yeah. and get some of these things really manageable uh, as far as the outlay of personal finance yeah. um, for, uh, you know, for switching, switching your, your home to yeah. uh, a different energy source. In the community, I think it's really taking this concept to county commissioners, to 
um, uh, mayors, etc. Because one of the things we're doing in this valley is we really do want to be resilient and we mm -hmm. really do want um, uh, possibly to develop an energy corridor mm -hmm. that uh, uh, is wind and solar and hydro and uh, eventually the people in this valley are buying from that. They're not buying from an Excel or, you know, a utility that's out there somewhere. So that's a piece of being resilient mm -hmm. as well, is your energy is local. Mm -hmm. Your energy is local. On the national level, you have to get involved in politics. It's just the way it is. You have to do it. And right now, we're facing... Um, a huge crisis in this country as far as uh, our political uh, lack of political balance yeah. and and it's cost us critical time critical time on climate change and on other issues as well yeah. Yeah. so you have to get engaged you have to vote I mean I'm I'm actually contemplating I don't know if I can do this I've just closing shop here, closing up my house and going to a swing state and just volunteering mm -hmm. to knock on doors or whatever because mm -hmm. um, we do need to shift out of this administration yeah. and we have to do it now. Another four years, we don't have that kind of time. Yeah. We don't have that kind of time. On the international level, uh, there's a movement that's developing um, around global citizenship and I'm right in the epicenter mm -hmm. of that. And uh, there will be uh, a tech platform that will be available for people. I don't care if you're five years old or 105 years old, where you can vote as a global citizen. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you um, agree, there will be an agreement uh, that you can sign for your name to be held. Everything will be encrypted. Uh, but for your name to be held, those will all be downloaded in block, in blocks, to you, to the UN, mm. and to heads of state. And one one of the key issues in the beginning is global commons. Mm -hmm. uh, the Congo forest, the Amazon, the Arctic, and the Antarctic are global commons. Mm -hmm. They may reside in specific countries or specific countries have coastline or whatever but those are our life support systems the forests are the lungs the Antarctic and the Arctic are the heart and if you lose the heart and the lungs guess what what would happen to you yeah you're you're gone kaput you're gone yep. so we have to think of ourselves not just as uh, Lithuanian or Slovakian or English or American or Brazilian, we have to start thinking as a one humanity and we have to start acting as a one humanity and that means global citizenship. Mm -hmm. So Beautiful. that's my next, that's what I'm doing under Global Choices, uh, which is a, a, a nonprofit which I co-founded in 1992, but we've repurposed it now to, um, it was called Earth Restoration Alliance, mm -hmm. and we've repurposed it now to uh, Global Choices because what we choose now globally really matters. So, and folks can get more information at globalchoices.org? Right, and I just want to say that that 
that is just a holding uh, yeah. website. The the real website is going to be up, I think, in a, in another month or so. So um, just if you go there, just know that. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And I also want to just mention, Sally, before we uh, sign off, that if folks are interested in getting more information about the amazing array of speakers and organizations represented at our day they can go to rday.net uh, to get information and uh, to look ahead to the next summit which will be in the summer of 2020 uh, sally it's it's august 16 to 20 and it will be in snowmass um aspen snowmass here in colorado which is just right up there from here uh, and um, uh, probably based out of the Viceroy Hotel, although we don't know that. But it is August 16 to 20. Excellent. And uh, I know with the Why on Earth community, we have our coast-to-coast uh, -coast mobilization uh, next year, and we'll be all over the country doing all kinds of community mobilization work, and we will do our darndest to be in the uh, Snowmass area for for the our day event August 16 to 20. So. Um, Sally, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to visit with us oh. and, and, and for sharing all of this with our audience. If folks can see on the camera, look <laughs> at the notes here, front and back. We've got so much, so much really uh, important information, Sally, and I just I want to thank you for your leadership, for you. all that you're doing, and, and you. for taking the time to share this with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah, and um, the afternoon winds, this is perfect timing to close this because the afternoon winds are coming up and pretty soon, whew, everything <laughs> will be off of this deck. So this is perfect. Yeah, we've been <laughs> here in the breeze. It's yes. absolutely lovely. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Sally. Thank you. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code whyonearth. All one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.